0: This episode is brought to you by the In Between Podcast, a podcast about marriage, parenting, faith, and everything in between. Join us as we give you the tools to learn how to build a strong, connected, and joy filled marriage and family. For more information, go to inbetween.org. That's imbetween.org. This is Troy and Joel, and you are listening to Revive Thoughts.
1: Take courage, fainting Christians. You are encompassed with a great cloud of witnesses. The race that you are running has been run by millions before.
2: Every episode, we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. Today's sermon is titled The Christian Race by J.C. Ryle, and it came out towards the end of his life. It was published in the year 1900, uh, but preached a little before that, sometime in the late 1800s.
0: Now, Joel, we've talked about uh, J.C. Ryle in an episode uh, we did before on his sermon, Unbelief, a Marvel. Great
2: episode. You should and check it out.
0: Absolutely. And as a reminder, though, just kind of going through his life real quick, he had this incredible uh, conversion story where he heard Ephesians two eight. And just hearing the verse in church one day, he came to Christ. But even though we talked about how this was a conversion that just heard, that just came to from one verse, the background and the foundation of that conversion moment kind of had been laid down for years before. Uh, He had trouble at home with his family, but would eventually become a famous preacher in Liverpool.
2: That's right. This sermon uh, that we're going to listen to today, again, is about the race that Christians run uh, and the reward that waits for us. Over on our Facebook page, we asked uh, our followers over there that, what are some tips you have for running the Christian race well? Uh, one of the ones I, I liked uh, was from Sarah. She said, God asks us to be faithful in prayer in his word, in obedience and fellowship to his service in the church. Uh, Trinity says, my best tip is that you can't run a race without moving first. You got to move. And I think that that hits it pretty well, on the head too. Uh, you you got to move, and that's something that J.C. Ryle uh, did pretty evidently early on in his life. He had a hustle, you know, from you know, from from early on, uh, and it went without a lot of fruit for a really long time. And that's one of the things I found so interesting about this sermon and hearing Ryle's advice and commentary on. What it takes to run a successful race, to, to, to be long-suffering, to put in that endurance uh, is something that I found incredibly encouraging. Uh, he has so many things that he mentions that for the average Christian walk I found incredibly applicable. Not only on how to stay focused on, on the prize, but also d- to be aware of the things that hinder you, that that hold you back from running the race efficiently, from from allowing God to use you most effectively. One of the things that we see in Ryle's life is, is you know, it may not be evident up front uh, that the Lord is working. You may you may go through periods of life where you don't see much fruit, but the Bible tells us that if we keep our eye on the prize, then uh, the Lord will be glorified through that, and that's something we we definitely see by the—we we have that, that privilege of looking back on Ryle's life and seeing from start to finish all the ways that the lord used him even though it very much was not evident through many portions of his life paul you know famously uses the the illustration of, uh, of a physical race In uh i don't know you i don't know if you're a runner or not i occasionally run I, nothing crazy but i've been known to do a 5k or two uh but it takes it takes endurance at least for me i'm not i'm not in the greatest shape in the world so it takes a little bit of effort but uh it it takes endurance it takes dedication and paul makes that clear in, in his correlation with our spiritual life as well it's going to be hard at times it's going to take it's going to have to take endurance uh and ryle's life is is no exception to that uh his life was long and difficult and again it took him a lot of effort before he began to see fruit in his ministry
0: we, in the first episode we covered jc ryle we really stuck with his personal struggles his family's bankruptcy uh his sick wives but In this episode, we're kind of looking a little bit more at his career struggles, which were pretty real as well. He, and this is not just true of J.C. Ryle, this is true of uh, most of these guys. They don't start out famous. Uh, There are a few exceptions. I mean, Charles Spurgeon was preaching to huge crowds uh, by the age of 22. But a lot of these guys put in time and effort and many hours behind the scenes when they are relatively unknown, not famous, quiet men. You know, Ryle went into the ministry unwillingly. He, he did it as a job to pay the bills. When his dad went bankrupt, he's like, well, I, I guess I can be a minister pretty much. Um, but, but by the early 1840s, he was going at it with gusto. He really worked hard. And one way you can see this is from his very early sermons. He started to print them, write them down by hand, get them to the printing presses and get them ready for distribution so that people could read them. The thing that really impressed me, though, was his first sermon wouldn't get published into a book, wouldn't get out there until 1854, which means that for basically 10 years he was in the background preparing getting his sermons ready hoping that someday all this stuff would be useful but it would be another decade i mean by year 8 you're sitting there you're going to the printing press you have your kids at home whatever you got church you got to preach in the morning at some point you're like is this worth it and he stuck with it and i that just that kind of dedication to working in the background i think is exactly the kind of training that running the christian re- race requires
2: yeah, it, t- it took him a long time to find uh, that fruit in the church. His first church that he uh, was at was not a-, a roaring success. He got up to lead the congregation and, you know, preached these beautiful sermons with elegant words, and it fell completely flat on its face. So it, it took years of preaching and-, and developing relationships with people to get to the point where uh, he was affecting the lives of the people around him. His first church was also in kind of a unique situation. It was it was out in a in a remote swampy portion of of England there, uh, with a group of people that weren't particularly spiritual. He all, he spent a lot of his time acting as almost like a, a doctor to, um, like a medical doctor to the people in his congregation because they were so remote, like that. He there was no one, there was no official medical doctor, and so he did a lot of those responsibilities. Kind of a unique setup uh, out there in rural England.
0: So when Ryle realized his sermons weren't affecting the people, he changed. He met them where they were at. He didn't just keep saying, well, you know, you're going to get the elegant speeches and you're going to like it. You know, he shifted his language and a desire to be uh, more simple in what he said so that he could be more easily understood. Um, If you were putting it in today's lingo, I mean, in a sense, he did what he could to get the clicks and did what had to be done to get heard one day in the area a bridge goes out and there were a ton of people gathered on this bridge to see a clown pulled by geese that's the story at least where they heard there was going to be a clown pulled up by some geese everyone runs out on this brand new suspension bridge to hear it and that bridge goes down hundreds of people fall into the water and i think it's over a hundred people end up dying and that completely i mean it rocks the area and it makes sense i mean if that happened today, even in a big city, a bridge goes out and 100 people die. that's going to make headlines. Imagine if you're living in the you know the middle of the backwoods in the middle of nowhere and that happens. that's a really big deal.
2: Yeah, and this really affects JC. Ryle. He hears about this and he decides uh, to, to spread the gospel. It, it convicts him to get the Word of God out there. and so he starts producing these gospel tracks and distribute them and he writes them in, in plain, simple, relatable, everyday language. These tracks had titles like, are you forgiven? Do you have a priest? How is your heart? And I don't know like what you like think of of tracks. I feel like tracks in in modern day America kind of have a little bit of a negative connotation of them. Um, But back then, especially here in the 1800s, tracks are are huge. They're very important. They're very effective. Hudson Taylor was saved by reading uh, a track that
0: he found. So he began publishing these tracks and several of them had already been written. He already had them kind of laying away, ready to go. Once he starts getting published, he continues to work and continue to move, and his name gets out there, his sermons start to get published. And all that work he had been laying up beforehand finally had its opportunity, but he had to reach out and grab it, and he had to put that la- that work in beforehand. When we think about the Christian race, uh, like running a race, you don't just wake up one day and run it. No one wakes up and runs a marathon In the same way, Ryle didn't just wake up and become this great writer, this great preacher, this man that we still read and look at today. In the dark, when no one was watching, when he was barely getting paid, when he was just working his hand he was working on it, he was getting better, he was reading books, he was writing tracks, he was preparing his sermons for publishing someday in the hopes that they would. And it may be over ten years, but he was laying a firm groundwork and foundation so that he could run that race well. And I think that as Christians, that's something we all need to do is be putting in the network when no one's watching that we will be seen running that race. Well, in this sermon, he tells us about that race and why we shouldn't be discouraged as we run it and what encouragements we can have as we run that race.
1: Therefore let us also, seeing we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Beloved, I have lately spoken to you much about the character and experience of true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, the men who are sowing for everlasting life. Before, however, we continue this inquiry, I wish to warn you against forgetting the sure foundation. I wish to caution you most strongly against losing sight of the root of the whole matter, a simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You must not stumble at the outset by supposing I want you to set up a righteousness of your own. Some think their own endeavors after holiness are to make up their title to salvation. Some think that when they come to Christ, their past sins alone are forgiven, and for the time to come they must depend upon themselves. Alas, there have always been mistakes upon this point. Men toil and labor after peace with God as if their own exertions would give them a right to lay hold on Christ. And when they find themselves far short of the Bible standard, they mourn and grieve and will not be comforted. And all because they will not see that in the matter of forgiveness, in the matter of justification in the sight of God, it is not doing which is required, but believing. It is not working but trusting. It is not perfect obedience, but humble faith. Now, once for all, let us understand that all who have really fled for mercy to the Lord Jesus Christ are, as Paul assures the Colossians, complete in Him. In themselves, they may be poor, shortcoming sinners, but seeing they have laid hold on Christ, God looks upon them as complete, completely pardoned, completely righteous, completely pure. No jot or tittle of condemnation can be laid to their charge. They have nothing more to do with the law as a covenant of works, as a condition they must fulfill or die. The Lord does not say, be perfect and then you shall live, but Christ has given you life, and for his sake, strive to be perfect. But you will ask me, Why do they hunger and thirst so much after holiness since all their debt has been paid? I answer, they work for love's sake, for gratitude. They do not work and strive after holiness in order that they may be forgiven, but because they are forgiven already, chosen and sealed and saved and redeemed and bought with a price, and they cannot help desiring to glorify Him with their bodies and spirits, loved them and gave himself for them. They thirst after holiness because their father loves holiness. They thirst after purity because their master loves purity. They strive to be like Jesus because they hope to one day forever be with him. But seeing They may have many a difficulty in doing the things that they desire, and are continually warring with the world, the flesh, and the devil, and sometimes are so ready to faint that they doubt whether they really are of Christ's family or not. Seeing these things are so, I have tried to give you a faint outline of their experience on recent occasions, and I purpose this afternoon to lay before you the advice which the Apostle gives them in my text. Now I say that the text contains five points. First, we all have a race to run. Second, many have gone before us. Third, we must lay aside every weight. Fourth, we must run with patience. Fifth, we must be continually looking to Jesus. The Lord pour down his spirit upon each of you and bow the hearts of all here present as the heart of one man, that you may seek the Lord while there is yet time, and set your faces towards Jerusalem, and not die the death of the faithless and unbelieving. First, we all have a race to run. By this, you are not to understand that our own arm and our own strength can ever open for us the gates of everlasting life and win us a place in heaven, far from it, That is all of grace. It is another question. It it simply means that all who take up the cross and follow Christ must make up their minds to meet with many difficulties. They must calculate on labor and toil and trouble. Uh, They have a mighty work to do, and there is a need for all their attention and energy. Without, there will be fightings. Within, there will be fears. There will be snares to avoid it and temptations to be resisted. There will be your own treacherous hearts, often cold and dead and dry and dull. There will be friends who will give you unscriptural advice and relations who will even war against your soul. In short, there will be stumbling blocks on every side. There will be occasion for all your diligence and watchfulness and godly jealousy and prayer you will soon find that to be a real Christian is no light matter. Oh, what a condemnation there is here for all those easygoing people who seem to think that they may pass their time as they please and yet be numbered with the saints in glory everlasting. Are those who show less earnestness about their souls than about their earthly amusements, and those who have much to tell you about this world's business but nothing about heaven, And those who think nothing of neglecting the commonest helps towards Zion and count it much to give religion a few Sunday thoughts, are these men running the Christian race and straining every nerve after the prize? I leave the answer with yourselves. Judge what I say. And those who profess to have entered the course, and yet find time to rest by the wayside and trifle with temptation, and to find fault with the anxiety of others, and those who stop to take a breath and boast of their attainments and look behind them, are such running the race set before them as if it was a matter of life and death? Oh no, they may get the name of Christians, but they are not so running that they will obtain. But those who are taught and called of God may soon be distinguished from the sleeping children of this world These have no leisure for vain amusements. Their eyes are fixed, and their thoughts are engaged upon the narrow path they have to tread and the crown they hope to receive. They have counted the cost and have come out from the world, and their only wish is that they may finish their course with joy. The second thing you may learn from the text is this. Many have gone before us. We are encompassed by a great cloud of witnesses. The witnesses here spoken of are those patriarchs and prophets who are mentioned in the 11th chapter and the apostle calls upon us to remember them and their troubles and to take courage. Are we frail earthen vessels? So were they. Are we weak and encompassed with infirmities? So were they. Are we exposed to temptation and burdened with this body of corruption? So were they. Are we afflicted? So were they. Are we alone in our generation, the scorn of all our neighbors? So were they. Have we trials of cruel mockings? So had they. What can we possibly be called upon to suffer which they have not endured? What consolations did they receive which we may not enjoy? You may talk of your cares and business and families, but their portion was just like yours. They were men of like passions. They did not neglect business, and yet they gave their hearts to God. They show the race can always be run by those who have the will. Yes, they were all flesh and blood like ourselves, and yet by grace they became new creatures. And so by faith they obtained a good report. By faith they confessed themselves strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Through faith they quenched the raging of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength after being weak, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. Some men were tortured, not accepting release, so that they might gain a better resurrection. And others experienced mockings and scourgings, as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawed in two, they died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. They wandered in deserts, mountains, caves, and holes in the ground. But grace exceedingly abounded, and all fought a good fight and finished their course and kept the faith, and to God Almighty every one of them appeared in Zion. Take courage, fainting Christians. You are encompassed with a great cloud of witnesses. The race that you are running has been run by millions before. You think that no one ever had such trials of yourself, but every step that you are journeying has been safely trod by others. The valley, the shadow of death, has been securely passed by a multitude of trembling, doubting ones like yourself. They had their fears and anxieties, like you, but they were not cast away. The world, the flesh, and the devil can never overwhelm the weakest woman who will set her face towards God. These millions journeyed on in bitterness and tears like your own, and yet not one perished. They all reached their eternal home. The third point to be considered is the apostle's advice to lay aside every weight. By this he means that we must give up everything which is really hurtful to our souls. We must act like men who throw off all their long and flowing garments as an encumbrance when about to enter a race. We must cast away everything which hinders us upon our road towards heaven, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, the love of riches and pleasures and honors. The spirit of lukewarmness and carelessness and indifference about the things of God all must be rooted out and forsaken if we are anxious for the prize. We must mortify the deeds of the body. We must crucify our affections for this world. We must look well to our habits and inclinations and employments, and if we find anything coming in as a stumbling block between ourselves and salvation, we must be ready to lay it aside as if it were a millstone about our necks, although it cost us as much pain as cutting off a hand or plucking out a right eye. Away with everything which keeps us back. Our feet are slow at the very best, and we have a long course to run. We cannot afford to carry weight if we are really contending for everlasting life. But above all, we must take heed that we lay aside the sin which does most easily beset us. The sin which from our age or habit or taste or disposition or feelings possesses the greatest power over us. I know of two which are always at our elbows, two sins which try the most advanced Christians even to the end, and these are pride and unbelief. Pride in our own difference from others. Pride in our reputation as Christians. Pride in our spiritual attainments. Unbelief about our own sinfulness. Unbelief about God's wisdom. Unbelief about God's mercy. Oh, they are heavy burdens, and sorely do they keep us back. And few really know they are carrying them. And few indeed are those who will not discover them at the very bottom of of the chamber of their hearts waiting for an opportunity to come out. But there are particular besetting sins of which each separate Christian can alone furnish an account. Each single one of us has some weak point. Each one has got a thin weak spot in his wall of defense against the devil. Each one has a traitor in his camp ready to open the gates to Satan. And he who is wise will never rest until he has discovered where this weak point is that is that special sin which you are here exhorted to watch against to overcome to cast forth to spare no means in bringing it into subjection that it may not entangle you in your race towards zion one man is beset with lust another with a love of drinking another with evil temper, another with malice, another with covetousness, another with worldly mindness, another with idleness. But each of us has got about him some besetting infirmity, which is able to hinder him far more than others, and with which he must keep an unceasing warfare, or else he will never so run as to obtain the prize. Oh, those bitter, besetting sins. How many have fallen in their full course and given occasion to God's enemies to blaspheme from thinking lightly of them, from not continually guarding against them, from a vain notion that they were altogether cut off. They have been overconfident and presumptuous. They have said, we are the temple of the Lord and we cannot greatly stumble. And then they have forgotten that hidden root, that branch of the old Adam, and so Day after day, little by little, shoot after shoot, it grew, it strengthened, it filled their heart, it blighted their few graces, and suddenly, without time to think, they have slipped and fallen headlong in the race, and now they are hurrying downstream amidst that miserable party, the backsliders, and who can tell what their end may be? But what was the simple cause? They disregarded some besetting sin. Go, child of God, and search the chambers of your heart. See whether you can find there some seed of evil, some darling thing which you have tenderly spared before because it was a little one. Away with it. There must be no mercy, no compromise, no reserve. It must be laid aside, plucked up, torn up by the roots Or it will one day trip you up and prevent you running your race towards Zion. The gates of heaven are broad enough to receive the worst of sinners, but too narrow to admit the smallest grain of unforsaken sin. The fourth point to be noticed in the text is the frame of mind in which we are to run. Let us run with patience. I take this patience to mean that that meek, contented spirit which is the child of real living faith, which flows from a confidence that all things are working together for our good, Ah, it is a most necessary and useful grace. There are so many crosses to be borne when we have entered the course, so many disappointments and trials and fatigues that except we are enabled to possess our souls in patience, we would never persevere to the end. But we must not turn back to Egypt, because some bring up an evil report of the promised land. We must not faint because the journey is long and the way lies through a wilderness. We must press forward without flagging, not murmuring when we are chastened, but saying with Eli, It is the Lord. Let him do that which seems good to him. Look at Moses in Hebrews 11. When he has come to years, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he had respect to the recompense of the reward, he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Look at Job when God permitted Satan to afflict him. Naked, he says, I came out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. What, will we receive good from the hand of God, and will we not receive evil? Look at David, the man after God's own heart. How many waves of trouble passed over that honored head? How many years he fled from the hand of Saul? Uh, How much tribulation did he suffer from his own family? And hear what he says when he is fleeing from his own son Absalom. And a certain Benjamite came forth and cursed him. Behold, my son seeks my life. How much more may this Benjamite do it? Let him alone and let him curse for the Lord has bitten him. It may be that the Lord will look on my affliction, and that the Lord will requite me good for his cursing this day. Mark 2, as you read his Psalms, how often you come on that expression, waiting upon God. It seems as if he thought it the highest grace a Christian can attain to. Look lastly at your blessed Lord himself. Peter says, He left us an example, that we should walk in his steps, who did no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Paul says, For consider him who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself so you won't be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted to the point of blood striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, or faint when you are rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. Oh yes, beloved, we must run with patience or we will never obtain. There may be many things we cannot understand, much that the flesh could perhaps wish otherwise, but let us endure till the end, and all will be made clear, and God's arrangements will be proved best. Think not to have your reward on earth. Do not draw back because your good things are all yet to come. Today is the cross, but tomorrow is the crown. Today is the labor, tomorrow the wages. Today is the sowing, tomorrow the harvest. Today is the battle, but tomorrow is the rest. Today is the weeping, but tomorrow is the joy. And what is today compared to tomorrow? Today is but three score years and ten, but tomorrow is eternity. Be patient and hope until the end. fifth, the last point, is the most important in the text. It is the object on which our eyes are to be fixed. We are to run our race looking to Jesus. We are to run depending upon him for salvation, renouncing all trust in our own poor, frail exertions, and counting our own performances no better than filthy rags and resting wholly and entirely, simply and completely upon that perfect righteousness which He worked out for us upon the cross. We need not run uncertain of the end. We need not fight in ignorance of what will follow. We have only to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world and believe that he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and will soon present us spotless and unblameable in his Father's sight. And then we are to run, making Jesus our example, taking no lower pattern than the Son of God himself, endeavoring to copy his meekness, his humility, His love, His zeal for souls, His self-denial, His purity, His faith, His patience, His prayerfulness. And as we look, we will daily become more like Him. And then we are to run, looking for our blessed Lord's appearing, praying always with all prayer and supplication that He will hasten His coming and kingdom and accomplish the number of His elect To those who look for him, will he appear the second time without sin to salvation? And their vile bodies in a moment in the twinkling of an eye will be made like his glorious body, and they will be forever with their Lord. Ah, this looking to Jesus. Here is the secret cause which kept that cloud of witnesses steadfast and unmovable in this narrow way. Here is the simple rule for all who wish to enter on the course which lands a man in paradise. Look not to earth. It is a sinful, perishable place. They will not stand the fire. Set not your affections upon it, or else you will perish altogether. The earth will be burned up, and if you cling to it in death, you will not be divided. Look not to yourselves. You are by nature Wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, you cannot make an atonement for your past transgressions. You cannot wipe out a single page in that long black list. And when the king will ask you for your wedding garment, you will be speechless. Look simply to Jesus, and then the weight will fall from your shoulders, and the course will be clear and plain, and you will run the race which is set before you. Truly, a man may be mistaken for a season and walk in darkness for a time. He once determines to look to Jesus, he will not greatly err. Now, who are the men and women in this congregation who have not yet entered on the grand struggle for life? This day, you, Christless sleeping ones, This day, I charge you to be honest and merciful to your souls. Turn! Turn from your evil ways. Turn from your self-pleasing and your self-indulging. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Cry mightily unto the Lord Jesus Christ before the night comes and you sleep forevermore. I know the thoughts that are in the hearts of those among you who ever think, For many come and go without thinking. I know your thoughts. You cannot make up your mind to lay aside every weight. You cannot throw overboard the sin that does so easily beset you. Alas, like Herod, you would do many things, but not all. You will not give up that Herodias, that darling bosom sin. The world, the business, the drink, the pleasure. You cannot give it up. It must have first place in your heart. I testify, I warn you, I take you to record that God has declared there will never enter into heaven anything that defiles. And if you are determined not to give up your sins, your sins will cleave to you like lead and sink you in the pit of destruction. You need not wait. You must show some inclination. God will not convert you against your will. Except you show the desire, how can you expect he will give you the grace? But where are the men and the women who are running the race and struggling towards the heavenly Jerusalem? Think not that you have anything which makes your journey more difficult than others. The saints at God's right hand were perfected through sufferings and you must Run with patience. Millions have gone safely through, and so shall you. Beware of cumbering yourselves with any weight of earthly cares. Examine your hearts most closely, and purge out each besetting sin with a godly, prayerful jealousy. Remember that blessed rule, looking to Jesus. Peter did run well for a time when he left the ship to walk upon the sea to Jesus. But when he saw the waves and the storm, he was afraid and began to sink. So many set out courageously. But after a while, corruptions rise high within. Corruptions are strong without. The eye is drawn off Jesus. The devil gets an advantage and the soul begins to to sink. Keep your eye steadily fixed on Christ and you will go through fire and water and they will not hurt you. Are you tempted? Look to Jesus. Are you afflicted? Look to Jesus. Do all speak evil of you? Look to Jesus. Do you feel cold, dull, backsliding? Look to Jesus. Never say, I will heal myself and then look to Jesus. I will get into a good frame and then take comfort in my beloved. That is the delusion of Satan. But whether you are weak or strong in the valley or on the mount In sickness or in health, in sorrow or in joy, in going out or in coming in, in youth or age or richness or poverty, in life or in death. Let this be your motto and guide, looking to Jesus.
0: he says the second thing to remember while you're running the race is that many have gone before you. And in some ways that's kind of what Revive Thoughts is trying to do, like we're trying to show you the lives of these great men that have lived and their sermons, and look at what they've gone through. How can your life be motivated, affected, inspired, encouraged by this? I constantly go back to uh, this thought that, you know, when you run a race these days, you run to win the prize. You want to be first. but in this race that we're running as Christians, people are already at the finish line. They're cheering for you. They're waiting for you to get there too. They they want you there. There are many people who have run alongside of you, Christian brothers and sisters you have with you today. And people who have done this before, go back and learn their stories, learn their lives, learn about the apostles, look to the word and see all these people who have done it before you. When you realize just how many have done it well it makes the race not seem so hard and not seem so overwhelming it's when you are so focused on your sin or your anxiety your worries the things going on in your life that you start to magnify all those things and start to feel small that's when you suddenly feel overwhelmed you feel isolated but when you remember how many people have done it before and who's running with you now it suddenly it gets small and you realize you're you're just one of many running this race
2: Thank you for listening to Revive Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by Ed Backel. Pastor Ed Backel is a Washington State native. He has taught for over 30 years in churches in Oregon, Washington, Nebraska. He's currently in Warden, Washington. He's been serving in the Warden Community Church since May 2010. Please visit our website at revivethoughts.com. There you can find the transcript for this episode and all of our episodes here at Revive Thoughts. We do have a Patreon. The link is in the description down below. If you like what you hear, consider donating on Patreon. We do have operational costs. The bandwidth to run the show is not free. Uh, and we have equipment upgrades in the, in the plan. Uh, so please consider giving. You can give recurring at $5 a month. Or uh, if you click on the Become a Patron, you can also just give a custom one-time gift whatever you'd like we we really appreciate anything and everything uh, to keep the show great and to keep it growing
0: also if you would like to help support the show but maybe you're not as interested in the patreon you want a little something for your service we have a t-shirt we are very excited very proud if we can, if we can be <laughs> honest we're proud of this t-shirt design it is some of your absolute favorite theologians charles virgin john knox dietrich bonhoeffer and the crew and you can be wearing those guys out in a nice stylish shirt check us out at teespring we have a link down in the episode you can find that out there on our social media as well give it a click buy yourself a shirt great gift the holidays are coming up you don't want to end up at grandma's thanksgiving without something right you don't want to be over at the christmas party without anything yeah they're talking you're telling them about your great show but you have no shirt to show for it make sure you have something for the holidays that's a great one and we also really appreciate the shares and the way you guys tell others about it we are constantly blown away by just the stories we had someone come in this week they have a homeschool group and they were like i shared it with my homeschool group and and this is being used in a speech class we have a person we asked permission her name is kristen and she is in britain getting people to do these sh- shows for us, recruiting speakers for us so that the sermons will finally sound like the accents that they are behind. And we've listened to them. They do sound better with the right <laughs> accents. So guys, we really appreciate all of you who are helping make this show great. And we just, if you would give us a share, tell others about it. It really goes a long way. This is Troy and Joel, and this is
1: Revive Thoughts.
0: This episode is brought to you by the In Between podcast, a podcast about marriage, parenting, faith, and everything in between. On the In Between podcast, you will hear how to raise children that change the world, ideas to keep the romance alive with your spouse, how to not hate your in-laws, ways to save money for your next vacation, and how to use the Enneagram in your relationships. Join us, Daniel and Christina M, as we give you the tools to learn how to build a strong, connected, and joy-filled marriage and family. For more information, go to inbetween.org. That's imbetween.org.